I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast in our sights this week. The deadliest silent assassin who apparently everyone knows about, John Wick, is thinking he's back. And we talked to the directors of Birds of Passage about their soaring South American drugs epic. I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining my armory of orators this week is Caitlin the Colt Quinlan. Hello. <laughs> and Alistair Bazooka Bayman. Hello. <laughs> and our very own pistol of podcast editing. Mark Towers. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> thanks so much for joining me. Thanks Don't for, hurt me with your opinions because they're so take. sharp and powerful. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, before we get to rifle through the halls of the Continental Hotel, uh, we'll start with Birds of Passage. Uh, it's directed by Chiro Guerra and Christina Gallego, uh, who previously collaborated on Embrace of the Serpent. Uh, Chiro is the solo director and Christina is the producer on that film. Uh, Ali, you actually spoke to the directors about the film and we'll, we'll hear that interview in a little bit. Uh, but first, could you just tell us a little bit about this film? So this is from the filmmakers behind the Oscar-nominated Embrace of the Serpent. Um, it's a tale about indigenous traditions and the corrupting forces of wealth, power, set against the backdrop of a Colombian marijuana boom of the 1970s. A film of both gangsters and spirits, corruption and fratricidal war, this is a thrilling depiction of the origins of the drug trade told through the story of an indigenous Wayu's family downfall when greed, passion and honour collide, putting their lives, culture and ancestral traditions at stake. Lovely. Um, so this is going to be, I think, a brand new film for a lot of people uh, who may not know about the directors or where they've come from um there's not a big boom of south american crime epics going around <laughs> at the moment uh and so maybe if you do see one this is the one to seek out um but i think people should be really excited about this film so before we hear from the directors um Caitlin, where, what do you know about their work so far? Why should people be excited about Birds of Passage? Yeah, so as as Ali said, um, Embrace the Serpent was was their Oscar-nominated kind of predecessor to this. Um, and that is a kind of, I think, it, you know, it was critically acclaimed, um, is, is sort of, you know, has been lauded as this really um, kind of crazed, but wonderful, beautifully shot in black and white. Um, it's this kind of story of um, the Amazon jungle and tribal kind of... Um, 
tribal warfare, I guess, with the sort of Western um, influence um, back in the early 1900s and kind of moving towards the 1930s. So it's it's such a rich story. I think they they make these really elaborately um, constructed films that have layers upon layers of ideas. Um, yeah, as I said, beautifully shot. Um, Birds of Passage is no different in that respect. Um, and and yeah, it's, you know, kind of carrying on that tradition of, of um, just really, really rich storytelling. I think it's definitely one to, but what well, both of them are ones to watch. Yeah. And uh, Chiri Guerra is doing his first English language film, which is Waiting for the Barbarians, which is um, just shot. That's got Johnny Depp, Mark Rylance and Robert Pattinson in. And uh, I think... Birds of Passage and Embrace the Serpent has certainly set this kind of world cinema foundation where there's generally a lot of excitement. Um, And although this is not a a big blockbuster film, it's got enough people to think of Chiragera as someone Mm. to definitely chuck a lot of money at yeah, <laughs> for the really, next one. Yeah, <laughs> really exciting prospect, a really exciting prospect. Um, so Ali, as we said, you were lucky enough to talk to the directors um, about quite a number of things. I was, yeah. Um, very fortunate. The fact also, I think, during the shoot of the film, they divorced. So I was a little bit kind of hesitant going in the interview knowing that. But they were very, very, yeah, very, very hospitable. Um, talked about the creative process at length. And yeah, thankfully... Uh, no phone interruptions whatsoever. <laughs> if there's ever a good reason to get divorced, it's shooting a film together, I think, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder how, what they would say about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see the Hearts of Darkness dock. Oh, yeah. Birds of Passage. All right. Um, so anyway, here we are. This is uh, Chiragera and Christina Gallego. Hello. Hello. Hi, hello. Hello. Uh, hi, Chiro and Christina. Thank you for joining us on the Cousin Film Podcast. Thank you. Um, I was curious to start off because I believe the idea for the film originally came from you, Christina. Um, what was your original thought process in wanting to tell this story? Uh, we came to the uh, area of this of influence of the Bonanza Marimbera. We were do- there doing a film, uh, a, f- a film directed by Ciro that was The Wind Journeys, and was set in the same place and in the same area and in the same years of the, of the Bonanza. And we start to hear about all this history that was the start of the of the of of the history of the narco traffic and and I think that the first idea was the dream of do a kind of a, a gangster film like a godfather in the in 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 these uh, uh, communities or with, in a community that has a lot very straight uh, 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 codes of behavior and, and and all the histories that they tell to us it makes me imagine a, a gangster film because it was a, 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 a it was a happen a war between families between clans and they killed people uh, people from each family to the other family uh, with very uh, strong uh, codes of behavior and it made me think about the films that I have been seen and 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 and, and the, the first idea was to 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 do a film like this but we know at that moment that we were very mature that it will be a very big film and that we will need a, a big effort of from from financing or, or from our cinematography in Colombia in that moment it was very it, it, it was starting in 
the process. But, but all this history also connect me to, with the histories that I've been living when I, when I was child in, in Bogotá. Uh, and I, I saw many families uh, go, uh, grow up and go down. And, uh, and I live in a, in a middle class uh, neighborhood. And the the the, neighbor, the neighbors and I and I'm the the child of a, of a big family and I have nine brothers and sisters, and I saw how the the friends of of my brothers and sisters and their families became in that business and and once uh, st- uh, at some point start to appear uh, a very uh, richness in the in the neighborhood and they start to also disappear to go to the jail. And after 30 years, uh, I have one one of my neighborhoods that I found him in as a as a homeless. So I think that it it connects with my with my personal history also, and and that's a, it's a history that I want to to tell and to bring out. Mm, you talk about that um, sense of family. Um, you begin the film with a very vivid opening of the camera kind of spinning around um, with this traditional why you dance. Um, I was wondering, it's kind of a two-handed question, whether that um, using the traditional why you instruments was an organic thing that, that sprang up and, the, and also the decision to shoot in colour as opposed to um, monochrome, which was in Embrace of the Serpent. Yes, the, and the why you colour, the why you culture is very colourful. It's a culture in which uh, colour has a very profound meaning and the and when you when you go when you see them, they, it's very, uh, you see their handcrafts and their the way they dress and the and, and the way and they everything that they do. Uh, color plays a big role and it's very striking the use of color in the way you culture. So there was no no question that this film had to be in color and in a very vivid color that was true to the way that the way you people uh, represent themselves. Uh, so with the, uh, and the costume designer uh, Catherine Rodriguez did a very profound work of research, going deep into the way that they dress and the and, and the way they use their clothes. They have always been a, a a trading community and they have been forever in contact with with the outside world uh, through the sea. So they they are always so they they have a very distinctive fashion sense in a way that. Uh, because they have always been uh, had good access to different textiles from different parts, and, they, and 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 the way that they use them to reflect their mythology, their their view of the world, is very interesting. And uh, we like the idea that this was a film that took elements of the film noir of the gangster film, which tend to be very dark and very uh, monochromatic. And uh, we we took go, we went in an opposite direction, and we did a, a, a film noir in the. In, in open air, in open sky, blue sky, desert locations, something more akin to a western than, than a noir. And uh, it's a noir in broad daylight, and that's uh, that's something that that is uh, is interesting for us because it's a, it's a film that is uh, challenging and questioning the the elements of genre. Yeah, you you definitely feel that. And how did you go about casting, given that? Obviously, um, a lot of the cast is, is I think it's 30% Wayu or something like that. Uh, what was your process with that? Uh, in the crew was 30% Wayu. 30% yes. of the crew was Wayu. And in the casting, I think that in the, in the casting, we have professional actors. Uh, in the family, we have five professional actors. Uh, but all the rest of the 
people is Waju people, and we work in a in a mix and in a in in, in a, a a long workshop together before starting to do the film. A long a long a process of pre-production with them, working together, trying to know uh, from the other uh, what they need. No, the the natural actor were 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 in, uh, preparing them themselves with the with the professional actors, and not and and in the reverse also. No, the professional actors was in the community, was knowing the traditions, was knowing how is to be. Uh, uh, what you in what they believe was was knowing uh, the language and the their lines in the in the in that language. So it was a process of collaboration between all of them uh, in front of the cameras for the actors and behind the cameras from all of the our crew. Mm, you you talk about that collaboration. How was it for you working on, as working as a director for the first time, and then also Chiro, your experiences with with that as well. I think that this this process was the the evolution of a, a long process together working together in a creative way. So it it was no the only thing that was different uh, for me was to go to the set, no, and to work with the actors. But we used to to have a very re, uh, uh, near. Uh, relation and creative relation in our previous films but the I think that the difference was felt more from zero you can talk about it yes uh, we this was a film that was uh, taking elements of genre and turning them around and uh, trying to propose a new a new way of looking uh, the gangster film has usually been very machoistic and about very and, uh, and about uh, celebration of violence and glorification of of uh, criminals and, and and elements of macho culture have, all, have have always been very present. And but in the Wayu culture, the the women are the ones who are at the center of society and the ones who are making the big decisions, the ones that are in contact with the spiritual world and also the ones who handle commerce. So it made so the story needed a. Uh, to have a strong uh, female point of view and a strong female characters, so it made sense for a female director to be part of it, to have a female vision, that to, to twist the genre around. Um, so yeah, it made sense completely for this project to to go to go on that or, or to give a different perspective to a genre that has been um, that, that really needs uh, to be um, questioned and and and, re- and refurbished to to give something new. And I think at the end, the, the work of collaboration was more to find how our different visions <laughs> uh, works to create the film, no? And the film, I think, is the result of two very different visions and two very different, uh, 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 how do you say, st- st- strength, uh, strength. Ab- abili- abilities, strengths, abilities. abilities. From each one, and and I think in the collaboration we we, we learn to respect the voice of the other, and how the, that voice can 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 be great for the project, and and all this a uh, I think conflict collision of the words conflict of the uh, words in in terms of tradition to modern modern uh, modernity in terms to intuition to the reality in terms to the female world to the uh, male world it's 
uh, the the people can see this conflict between the, those two visions in the in the film. But the process of collaboration means for us to put these different uh, visions from uh, uh, different sides, no, from zero and for me. And, and I think that this is the process of collaboration. Mm, you, yeah, you definitely gain that in the sense of the film. I was as you were talking, then I was I was thinking quite. Um, quite in depth at the way you shoot the film and it's quite still particularly I'm thinking of that final action action sequence I say final um the final act where the um the fellow gang attack the house was that a conscious decision when shooting that or did kind of external elements make a play in that no it's a, it was a, always a conscious decision from the beginning we this, this like I said before this genre is, has usually been about the celebration of violence and and about how, you know, turning these uh, climaxes into big, exciting action sequences with a lot of cuts and a lot of movement. And uh, we wanted to go the absolute opposite way of that way, of that style, uh, which uh, makes violence cool and makes uh, a celebration of, of, of destruction. Uh, we, we, the, the big violent climax is happening in a long shot, in a still long shot, and that you can imagine what's going on, and, and, and uh, but you can see, but you are powerless. You're looking at it from a distance, and, and it's unfolding in front of you, but you are powerless. And uh, because that's the way violence feels when you're, you know, when we come from a society that has experienced violence, and there's nothing fun about it, there's nothing cool about it, um, there's nothing uh, amusing or... You know, so so we we were offering a, a completely different perspective on on these sequences, on on these action sequences, which are which shouldn't be exciting and shouldn't be cool and, and vibrant. What you're what you're witnessing is the destruction of people, the destruction of lives, the destruction of culture. Um, yeah, you talk about the gangster genre, but um, with your kind of focus on this indigenous um, people, I was seen a, a little bit of, of kind of documentary was there any other films apart from a, a film noir from the 40s or as you, as you say the godfather that you looked at to take inspiration from yes uh, there's a uh, there's many sources of inspiration uh, we, we, we 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 like the films of the new hollywood of the 1970s the way that they uh, renewed genre and the way that they have a, a very cinematic perspective on the transformations of society uh, particularly for me, the Deer Hunter was a was a point of inspiration. Uh, for Christina, the Godfather was also a, a big reference. Uh, but also, you know, the, the westerns by John Ford, the way, and we, yeah, there and, and also, but we also take inspiration from Latin American cinema. Uh, the films of Glauber Rocha for me are a big inspiration. So yeah, it's um we 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 are we we're very we love cinema very much and we appreciate its history and we know it, we have studied it. But uh, but this and and we're always interested in in going to new places. You know, we we take uh, uh, from the film from the history of cinema uh, a lot of inspiration. But we're always we're, we're not interested in copying. We're always uh, going. F- uh, taking stories and genres and forms to new places yeah you, you feel that in the film with yeah what always stands out for me thinking think back to it is the score and, and the visuals that are unlike something you've ever seen before um but lastly what's next for both of you because i believe chiro you're working or you've you've wrapped i believe on on your english language debut yes uh, last year we shot uh, our first english language film it's called Waiting for the Barbarians. It's an adaptation of the novel by South African writer J.M. Kutsia. 
uh, and uh, Christina is also an executive producer on that film. And uh, we're, yeah, we have a, a slate of projects coming up. Great. I look forward to that. Thank you very much for your time. Thank th you. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, thank you to those guys for lending us their time. Uh, let's now move on to Birds of Passage and quickly sum this one up where we can because there's a lot to sum up uh this is very much an epic uh i was fortunate enough to see this a while ago i purposely uh tried to avoid reviews when i'm going into this so i, I kind of knew what it was set and that was about it uh, <laughs> and i'd seen embrace of the serpent and this is made some even though i didn't know anything it's not what i expected uh this is a true crime epic uh a rags to riches tale uh it's totally fresh in how it approaches that staple but also it's familiar as well yeah definitely um i i actually saw embrace of the serpent after birds of passage so I, I kind of went into that film as well not knowing much um and it opens with this kind of you know totally transfixing moment of um, a young girl's um they call it the coming out ceremony where she's been sort of kept away for weeks or months I think I'm not sure um and she's then sort of brought out into the into the society um or the, the sort of tribal tribal society to meet her potential suitor and so the film opens on this kind of wonderful scene of totally vivid um dancing basically and and the way that I think costume is really important in this film and the way that um clothing is used and fabric and sort of billowing in the wind you know um across these really stark desert landscapes is just as I say it's totally transfixing um and it's like this amazing, like almost like crisp craft paper like yeah. desert. Yeah. And then you just got this amazing splash of blood red. Yeah. Just the colours in this, off. the contrast, it's it's totally yeah, it's it's amazing. It's so vivid. Um but yeah, so you start in this world of really rich tradition and kind of kind of alienating tradition, I suppose. And that's that's kind of the power of this film, I think, is that we start um, looking in as these outsiders, they call them alihunas in the film, the pe the people that that aren't from their from their tribe and aren't from you know aren't connected to them, um, and we're watching and we're kind of engaging with this this story that that we really have no idea how to how to embrace. Um, but as the film kind of progresses, as Jake says, it becomes a little bit more familiar. We see how corruption and greed start to tear away at these traditions. Um, and and yeah, it's really it's kind of heartbreaking in a way to see so much of the the kind of destruction of um, of this community from a kind of Western influence, which I think, you know, is where Embrace of the Serpent comes in as well. And it's clearly a, a, a kind of passion of the filmmakers to 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 tackle that subject in their work. 
I think it's also like a universal story just on the corruption of power. I, I think regardless, obviously it's set against the kind of backdrop of marijuana and there's kind of a hint in there of, of cocaine and, and a few other substances. But fundamentally, it's just the driving force of this is this one man, Raphael, wants power and wants also to kind of just love this woman who then the Yu tradition comes in and kind of um, puts a, a massive um, kind of uh, yeah, I want to say spanner. I was trying to go for something else, but yeah, definitely, definitely spanner. But from as Caitlin was saying, from that kind of vivid um, initial scene, um, characters still placed at the, at the forefront. Which then, from the moment it starts, you are fully on board with all these people and, and ready for this visual epic. And also, like uh, I think the the specific quality of that is kind of like an unhindered capitalism. Because it just mm. like is like a shot, like an injection into this culture that then leads to like pretty much the the events that we see in the whole film and like this this kind of tragic downfall. And it wouldn't have been unless there was this kind of um, yeah, like a whole metaphor for kind of colonial power and Western power and influence and, and, and just, corruption. Yeah, yeah, untethered and like it just like is let loose mm. like a wildfire kind of thing. Yeah, and it almost starts by accident as yeah. well. That's the, what I, yeah. Yeah. I really liked yeah. about it. Yeah, like when you get to the end of the film and you have the scope of all of the events that have just happened mm. and you can take it back to this single conversation yeah um, yeah which is really satisfying um and they do a great job of having to uh introduce to us uh the workings of this world as well uh of the way of the value of a uh, a dowry in this dance and the symbolism all of it and because it just means that as the film goes on we understand the gravity of the situation of the betrayal and uh how X person betraying mm. X person could influence either on the like the consumer side or on the traditional side, mm. um, and it, it does really well to set that up for people that or well, most people that will be watching this film around the world who don't understand how that works. Um, yeah, I think that as well. You know, you totally become in, as Jake says, you become embedded in these traditions. And one of my favorite characters is is the word messenger, who mm. his his role in this in this society is to travel between tribes and um, and, and communities and and sort of be their be their messenger and be their contact. Um, and you know, it's it's such a sacred role, a sacred tradition, um, and it, it kind of takes "Don't shoot the messenger" to it to an entirely new <laughs> new level. But he's yeah, it's it's wonderful. You become totally totally engrossed with these with these habits, and you totally buy them buy into them as well. Like you 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 suddenly understand that no, this is you know there is no greater disrespect or crime than to to you know do anything to betray these people. Yeah, and I, for me, that's when the film's at its best. I don't think mm. it's perfect. I think it's when it's um, showing us these. Traditions showing us the word messenger. These, yeah. these uh, quite to us fantastical ideas, um, and it's as the drug trade seeps into the culture, uh, as does the familiar territory of of the crime genre. And whilst it is constructed in a like, formally excellent way, mm. uh, for me, I don't find that as engaging mm. as when it's got that more anthropological lens that it has in the first 20 minutes or so. Because it's more familiar? I think so, maybe. Yeah. Um, but obviously for other people, that's going to be a way to get you through to the finish line of it as yeah. well by embracing that. Uh, I've got to say, I really like kind of like the synergy of both because it felt like this umbilical cord then, like this toxic umbilical cord <laughs> going to this world like you, you're talking about that 
you have no idea what it's about and you're learning stuff and there's a joy in learning that and like this like the film begins with this um this woman being told like she's been in confinement and she has to come out of confinement and to like um uh, protect, look for the signs to protect her family, which are usually things we hear said to a, a male character in maybe the more um, the Western the um, crime films and crime epics like Godfather, Goodfellas, etc. Um, so I thought that's really interesting that you like take something that is usually like the wise guy being or the man being made or something like that, and it's taking it in a completely like because this is it, would you agree this is a matriarchy? From, yeah, from Most definitely, yeah. top yeah. to bottom, and then so you start with this, and all of the 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 um, exotic elements that you're not completely familiar with, and then it starts like almost transitioning into this world that we recognise and that we've seen in pop culture cinema, and that we're and, kind of complicit in as well, and that we're mm-hmm. exactly, yeah. and that's what I think that's exactly it that you're getting yeah. that complicit that you realise the complicit nature of of the drugs trade and what that's doing, linking those two worlds. Mm-hmm. I think the familiarity is also interweaved with the the strange sounds of the traditional way um, instruments, like just it's almost like a, a kind of distorted horn that kind of plays out in moments, particularly when I'm thinking of when the first I want to call it a betrayal, but between the American pilots um where they have to eventually bury the plane like this is just overrun by this kind of enormous sound which in the moment you've you've seen wise guys kind of cut each other off but then this it's almost like an ethereal force kind of lingering above the film and you don't know what this what this event will have repercussions for that soundtrack really had like western vibes because there's western the western genre running through this as Mm. well i feel and that had this like man with the harmonica kind of yeah. thing going on it's like this eerie sound that uh, and you feel like a storm's coming yeah i think that's the kind of the, the yeah back to the the point about tradition is that it it really does kind of spread its way through this entire film and you you always feel this threat you're always aware of there are, there are lots of very kind of superstitious characters um and they they really believe in in you know their visions and their dreams and there's this constant you know awareness that something else is going on something's going wrong um which i think for me even though some of the kind of crime elements feel familiar that's the the part of it that that really elevates it for me and that um that kind of makes me really engage with stuff that's maybe yeah it's i mean i've i kind of i do think i do think it's comparable to the godfather in a sense um you know but but there is that that sort of eeriness that that kind of pervades it and and runs through it and um and yeah i i just love it i think it's i think it's so rich and 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 great and the the kind of godfather comparison i guess you know there's there's this tradition there's family honor at stake you know and i also think it's a bit long like the it's it's not i mean it's not really a huge a huge runtime but it starts to feel a little bit long in the way that i think the godfather feels a bit long but there's something kind of layered and um and deep about that and the family connection is necessary for well and going back to your um point mark about this being a film with a matriarchy Mm. um unlike the god the characters in the godfather and goodfellas where the men in those films i think are presented as being cool Mm. as well uh even our main man in this i don't think he's ever he's always got a hint of being out of place even when he's, he's at the top depth, of the tree yeah, yeah. Out of his depth. and he's like yeah and he's like he wears the hat and the sunglasses but it's not like he's wearing them you know it's he's like they're wearing him hard. like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, and he never like feels like he's filling that western costume 
there's definitely like this um, almost uh, purposefully front-on blocking of everyone just standing straight onto yeah. the camera. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the reverse of like a Western where they're like rotating their shoulders or some kind of cooling. And I think and like right, button-open shirts, yeah. like really seventies, yes. and and yeah. it's like they're trying, especially one key character, trying very hard to almost take on those tropes yeah. but mm. you're right it doesn't feel like the the shirt fits kind of mm. quite mm. right quite snug <laughs> <laughs> very much so um all right so that is birds of passage which is out in cinemas and on curzon home cinema this weekend uh now for our next film we've been expecting him it's john wick three parabellum Super assassin John Wick, played by Keanu Reeves, has returned uh, now after killing someone while staying at the neutral territory of the Hotel Continental. He's got a $14 million price on his head and is the target of an army of murderous bounty hunters. The third instalment of the John Wick series continues the emphasis on physical action and stunts. Uh, This one now is punctuated by supporting turns from the likes of Angelica Houston, Halle Berry and Lawrence Fishburne. Let's delve into it. Mark, how do you feel about the John Wick verse? Right. Well, <laughs> I am a big fan of uh, action cinema and action set pieces in general. Like, I think it's something that cinema does, the medium of cinema does better than any other um, medium. And Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton started this tradition uh, and they made set pieces, these little mini stories within the film where it's like give or take, you don't know if the the protagonist, they look like they're in trouble, oh no, they've made it, or they sort another problem. It's like the problem exacerbates and that's the the roller coaster you're on. And they were the the masters at that. Now, more recently, it'd be Jackie Chan and in America, like I think Spielberg and Cameron are great at this. John Wick definitely feels... It is the the modern, the ultra John Wick modern. is the Charlie Chaplin of our <laughs> is, day. It, well, Sherlock Jr. So <laughs> John Wick 2 starts with, I think, Sherlock Jr., which is inexplicably uh, projected on the side of a skyscraper. I don't know who's watching it in that <laughs> shot, but then he scoots by in his car. This one has Times Square with John Wick, and there's the general in the background, so they definitely think they're the Buster Keaton <laughs> of this yeah. age. But I don't feel that they're necessarily doing it to that degree, you know, there's rather what? than that give You're or take. You're saying that in a hundred years time, people are not going to look back. Oh, back in my day, I don't me. think <laughs> just whacking it at the start means that you're equaling it. And yeah. like, there's a lot of John Wick going through just blasting people away. Yeah. And that, as Chaplin did. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not feeling that jeopardy in the same way. Yeah. At the beginning of this, I thought they'd actually nailed it. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, never the, look fir- at the opening the, yeah. 30 minutes of this film is nuts yeah. uh, in, in such a good way like the we saw this in a packed house the best way to see it Absolutely. and had such tremendous time if there's a sentence that will make you see this film it's the following there's a scene where he's at the New York Public Library and kills a giant using only a book <laughs> a Russian book in specific, not just any book, and but an 18th incredible. century book. Yeah, that, is, that in particular had that kind of a level of that kind of Chaplin, Buster Keaton, yeah. ultra violent mm. vibe. It was like an ultra violent Jackie Chan movie. But then I felt it kind of lost its way and got back into what I didn't like about John Wick 2, which is just this massacre. And once you've seen one person get a point blank headshot, you know, you're not getting the in the packed. Uh, 
theatre that we saw it in, there was like the ohs and the ahs, you know, that you get when you see like the raid or something. Mm. But they dropped off, didn't they? Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I think I'm going into this film for those action sequences and I think try and see this on as big a screen and as loud as possible as you can to hear those gunshots ring out. But it's when it believes its own coolness. It's that struggle. Um, it's the joy of the first John Wick film was it came out of nowhere. No, it was an original property and it introduced us to a hints of a world in which it was possible that a man like this could exist, that there was this currency amongst assassins of these certain gold coins that could accrue favours and things like that. And with each film, we've learnt a bit more information and I don't think that's actually helped us out in any way. Uh, because if we are to believe that John Wick exists in this world and we are following John Wick, John Wick would know about all of these things already and wouldn't need to make a big deal out of them. Uh, There's a paradox in there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so as we have to learn all the rules about uh, you'll, there's so many of these things like there's a table and a high table and you're under the table and a ticket and a medallion and a binder or something or other crucifixes yeah I forgot about that like bigger weird coins that have Big. blood marks on them and yeah. magically can be presented to Halle Berry and she yeah. owes you a favour just get rid of all of that um, you could lose 30 minutes from this film I think um, but that being said if you have to wade through all of the rules of John Wick in, and you'd still get to have the films afterwards. I'll, I'll do it again. Like I, I'd, if I have another 30 minutes of coin transfers and mm. things like that, <laughs> fine. Um, as long as he kills more people. <laughs> I think it, thinking about this film now over the course of kind of three films, you want some kind of story character development, but given the whole essential premise of just John Wick being John Wick and being... I don't want to butcher his name in Russian, in Russian or whatever they, they call him, um, but be in this kind of presence who uh, is is frightening to any ninja. I think this is just kind of John Wick 2.0 again in a way from John John Wick 2 because Absolutely. with number one you ha- you do have this story and, and a genuine emotion like come on he, he killed a puppy well they killed they killed his puppy you want vengeance for this yeah but with this it feels like kind of being hit over the head again with that ultraviolence was I personally lived in John Wick 2 but then with this it's a rinse and repeat job and feels very Call of Duty as well in a way it, it has I, video game quality to yeah. it definitely and I feel like in 10 years if I haven't watched them again I will confuse scenes from 2 and 3 agree, big yeah. time like mm. I won't know which is from which whereas one like you said it's got that thrust through it because you're like they killed his dog mm. like, <laughs> you know you Come want on. You, yeah. you, 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 you can taste the blood as mm. much as, as him you, you can smell it yeah, but go and smell it. Anyway, <laughs> it's fun. Um, it is fun. Yeah, I can't wait to show this film to my dad. <laughs> I just know he's going to love it. Um, all right. Uh, so that that is John Wick, Chapter 3. Um, do go and check that one out, along with Birds of Passage. Uh, it's definitely one for fans of, well, the previous John Wick films, anyone that saw Atomic Blonde. Uh, you mentioned The Raid already, Mark. Um, we've actually got some cameo appearances from... Um, one of the guys from the raid. Uh, also, anyone who's a big fan of that one scene that happens in a skyscraper in Skyfall, because um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of magpieing going on in this film. Um, we thought that could be longer. Yeah, <laughs> a lot longer. Uh, 
also just I think Keanu Reeves is having a bit of a like social renaissance at the moment. Everyone's back in Keanu Reeves. Keanu. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Keanu Always loved Keanu. So just yeah. like maybe take your mum who loves uh, <laughs> who loves Keanu. Something's got to give. <laughs> like Ooh. oh, I love the the, little, the the nice doctor and something's got to give. Oh, mum, he's got a new film he's out. Got a new film. This is the most sadistic John Wick as well. I feel there's bits in it. I was like, wow. You know, I feel like I'm getting old. And I was just like, is that right? Should I be enjoying this? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Skewed someone's eye. Well, you're allowed to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, if you don't fancy heading out to the cinema uh, this weekend, you can also check something out on Curzon Home Cinema. Of course, Birds of Passage is on there, but there's a new collection uh, that we've named Can Comebacks, isn't there? Yeah, we've got um, some directors who have films at Cannes this year, um, so you can check out their previous work if you're interested. So we've got The Neon Demon by Nicholas Winding Reffin, uh, Root Irish uh, by Ken Loach, uh, Bong Joon Ho's Snowpiercer, that's a great one that's newly available and you can get on there, a really good um, action film. Yeah, let's say uh, that one suffered some delays. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally with us, very good, very good. Jim Jarmusch's Stranger Than Paradise and Aquarius. Yeah, um, Kleber Mendelkafilo's film, he uh, followed up Neighbouring Sounds, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. I yeah. uh, haven't had the chance to watch Aquarius, and so now I can go back and do that. And, of course, any Dardenne fans, you've got Two Days, One Night yes. on there as well. Um, so do check out that. Some lovely homework for the weekend. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on Birds of Passage, uh, do email us. You can let us know uh, your thoughts by tweeting at Curzon Cinemas. Uh, and we'll do a call out for a topic for next week's episode as well. Do follow us there. Uh, if it's your first time listening to the show, you can follow us on iTunes, Acast, subscribe when you're there. Do it on Spotify now as well. Uh, and leave us a review or comment that would be absolutely wonderful and if you haven't had enough of us you can keep up with all of us on Twitter Uh, Caitlin you are over there at I am I'm at CSA Quinlan Mark Mark D Towers Alice Dare Bayman. There's a D in there. Yeah, so is it Scottish, sadly? (laughs) Sadly. (laughs) And I'm there at Jake H. Cunningham. Thanks so much for listening. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.